can't tell you what a pleasure it is to be here. I wouldn't have said that two weeks ago when I was sit thinking about speaking to you guys. I felt like I've now prepared for a final exam, and I haven't done this much deep thinking in years. Um, I told my friend, called her on the way here, I said, I'm exhausted. I hadn't thought for a long time. So... Um, I know. I mean, really, I thought, even thinking about what to wear, I thought, is it winter or is it spring? And, and, I, and so I chose fall, so, which is, is, is kind of like me. Um, yes, I have five boys, the privilege of raising five young men. And um, everybody said, well, I get this question all the time. Did you plan on having five boys? Did you want a girl? The answer to the first question is no. I have never been very organized. I planned two and had five. And, and, and literally, I mean, that is truly the truth. And my kids tease me all the time. They always look at the other one and go, you weren't wanted. Because <laughs> I always say, you were a surprise. But a great one. Um, the answer is yes, I did want a girl. So every time I was pregnant, I just said, God, this is it. I know it's my girl. And, um, but alas, it was not. But God is just. And I, my boy, I have four of my sons are married, and um, they proceeded to give me five beautiful granddaughters. So now I'm also an expert on girls. And um, so today's, I'm going to uh, change my speech a little bit. It is not just for boys. Because I believe what I'm going to talk about today is as important for women as it is for men. And I've seen it more and more as I look at our culture and the kind of people we are producing. Um, the other thing I would say is um, I, just, I just love girls. And I think they're adorable. And I've been so privileged. The last three babies we had this year were all boys. My youngest son, uh, being raised in an all-male family and um, going to a school that he went to a boys' private school here in Dallas, so he just loves guys. And so each time he heard he was having a niece, he was like, wow, wow. So by the time it came to the fifth one, I, I called him, and he lives abroad, and I said, gee, you're going to have another niece? And he goes, there was this dead silence on the other end of the phone, and he goes, I said, you're going to love her. And he said, of course I love her. And there was this quietness, and he goes, but then I would have loved a girl more, boy more. And I was like, dad, come, but this little girl has him wrapped around her finger. I have all these pictures of them together, and she's this little buddy. So it's really, really cute. I, last time, I talked two years ago to you guys, and at that time I talked about the pursuit. I don't know if any of you were here, but I talked about the pursuit of virtue. And when I say that, I mean the pursuit of character. I, I, we hear so much in our society today about um, competence and excelling and winning and leading and, and all these kind of things. Great things. I'm not saying that. But if the foundation is not there, if there's not the foundation of character, then the society will fail as a whole. And I do, I will say today, I don't think we're focusing enough on this. So I talked about that two years ago. Fast forward, I, I, as I was thinking about what I would talk to you today, I thought about all the challenges that you ladies and your families and your children are going to be presented with, and it is far more than I was. And the one underlying thing that I thought of all the things and all the virtues that we have, diligence, love, kindness, all those things, the one we talk about the least is courage. It is the one that is least talked about, and so I decided that today I would talk to you about that. Uh, my husband is here. He should tell this story with me because everything I know that I speak on today is 
I lived with, I lived and do live with the six bravest men I know. My boys are not perfect, but I will honestly say they are some of the bravest people I have ever met. And they were led by my husband. And I really want to thank him for that. Stevie, how many of you, when you send your children to school, when you send them out that door for going to college or the next step, want them to have courage? I want you to think, raise your hands if that's something you, a virtue you hope they possess. They are men and women of courage. Well, every hand in this room is about raised. Now I want you to think about the next four questions that I'm going to ask you. And then I want you to think if you'd raise your hand. What if having your courage, your child grows up and joins the military, becomes a soldier? And in so doing, he faces death or the probability that he could be mortally or fatally wounded or greatly disfigured. What if your son or daughter grows up and takes a stand in college or high school against the popular crowd, a moral stand, and in so doing is literally no longer one of the in crowd um, and in fact suffers some emotional suffering? What if you stand up to courage for your, to your boss, your teacher, any authority person, and in so doing it cost, could cost your child or you your grades your livelihood, or your acceptance among your peers? What if your child is eventually called to proclaim the gospel to remote and dangerous parts of the world? Now, thinking about that, how many of you now want to raise your hands and say, oh, yes, I want my son and daughter to go do those things? You see, every one of those scenarios was something that my children either did or faced, and it was tough. And looking back now, uh, I don't know how they kind of arrived, but they are very courageous people. And it's been quite a journey to watch them do these things. Um, You see, courage is one of the few virtues that has a great cost to it. Um, If if you love people, you're usually loved back. If you're kind, most of the time you'll be kind or at least well thought of. And gosh, she's a great girl. She's so sweet. So you see, most virtues have a positive impact on us, but there is a cost to courage. And most of us don't even think about that, that courage comes with a price. To have courage, you go up against an obstacle. You have to face something. And in going through it, it is difficult. And it really does mean you endure hardship. Um, I was telling this to a friend the other day, and she said to me, yeah, but everybody admires people with courage. I said, yeah, after the fact. After they've done it, after they've accomplished it, after they've gone through great difficulty and overcome it, yeah, we do. We admire it in someone else. Now, I don't want to overwhelm you today. I know you have little bitty children. I know where you are because I once was where you are. I had two-year-olds. I had five-year-olds. But there was one thing I did want. When I looked back, I thought, I did want my boys to be brave. I mean, let's face it, girls. Who wants to raise a wimpy boy? So, I, I mean, it is something I thought about, and I, I really wanted to, um, to really instill in them a sense of bravery and courage. So I'm going to challenge you today, and I'm going to tell you it is not enough to be kind, diligent, disciplined. Christians must be brave. And it starts with you as their mother, because you will sit there and you will model for them this attribute. 
The Bible has a lot to say about bravery. Every story we learn, the ones we can just know like that, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, Joseph in the coat of many colors, uh, Esther, as she stand and was an advocate for her country, Stephen being stoned to death for his faith, and last of all, Mary being the mother of Jesus and what she had to go through in order to bear us our Savior. So you see, from the very beginning, God values courage. I've given you in your handout just some verses just to start us out. You can look at those and see, but I would suggest to you that you Google um, verses and, and see what you can come up with, how much God talks about bravery, how much he commands us, doesn't ask us, he commands us to be brave and to be strong because he knows that there are things that we are going to face and we are going to have to do it with both of those things. So God puts a high, high premium on bravery and courage. In fact, in Revelations, God says, the cowardly will never stand in my sight. That is, that is sobering. Um, you see, I've had a lot of time to think about this. In 2001, my oldest son, Donovan, was at Princeton University where he had graduated or was graduating magna cum laude. He'd been a phenomenal athlete. He had run a business for Princeton. He was very, very successful by the worldly standards. And being his mother, I had his story and everything written out for him. I just thought, man, this kid's going to go and he's going to go on Wall Street or the financial services or, well, you know, you know how you are. You just kind of write that story. And I thought, this is going to be great. Well, I couldn't have been further wrong. Um, There was a little glitch in my story because between his junior and senior year, he went to, uh, was it, oh, how do you say it? OCS, OCS, which is Officer Candidate School, which is a 10-week course for the United States Marine Corps to see if you want to be a Marine officer. So he did that, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what in the world is he thinking? And I wasn't brave. I tried to discourage him. I sent him letters about the military. I told him every negative thing you could ever think about the military. I mean, I was his, like Donovan said, oh, mother, I'm, some of the biggest issues in my life, you've been on the wrong side. So, um, and, and that is true. I mean, it's just, it's so humbling. So I don't stand up here today and say, gosh, I was just so brave. I said, go get him, honey. No. Um, but he came home from that tour, uh, from that 10 weeks, and he literally threw his camo in the trash and said, I will never do that. I hated every minute of it, and I thought, now we can go back to you being on Wall Street or whatever. Um, So my story, I thought, was going to continue. And lo and behold, in this April, the spring of his senior year, in 2001, he called me and he said, Mom, and he literally choked up. He said, you're the last one I'm going to tell because you're the hardest to tell because I know this will have the greatest impact on you because you're my mom. He said, I want you to know that today I accepted my commission into the United States Military Marines. And I couldn't have been more surprised, um, unbelievably fearful, for I just had a premonition that this was going to be a long road for us. Um, But uh, one thing God has given me, I know when I'm beat. Um, and I realized that if I didn't get on board of this, this train was going to leave without me. And I didn't want him to think that, you know, for any way I would discourage him at this point. And I said, you know what? I am so proud of you, and I will be your biggest cheerleader. And I was. So during the next five years, I learned more about just actual courage in the most dramatic way you can. 
learning what it's like for one man to lay down his life for his brothers. I was going through some emails, and I wanted to share with you. Donovan served three tours, two in Iraq, but his second tour was one in Ramadi. Now, Ramadi was um, some of the roughest and fiercest fighting this, of the Iraq War. And Donovan happened to land there uh, at the time when it first broke out. These are actual pictures whoa, of his men. These young men are 18 years old. They are approximately the age of a high school senior. He wrote us so many emails over the five years that he was in the military, but he wrote a lot during this time. And I'm going to read you some about what he wrote today about his men. And I just want you to picture, they are 18 years old. They are the equivalent of a high school senior. He says, most of the guys come from what you would call tough backgrounds, i.e. not a lot of money and they're single-parent families. But they are the finest group of young men I have ever met. You would be amazed at the things that they can take in stride as part of their daily routine. They work 20 hours a day without batting an eye. And when I say work, I mean work. Rarely do we get more than four hours of sleep a night, and often they pull security for the firm base all night long. They only turn right around and immediately go out on a four-hour patrol in the morning. Sometimes we'll come back exhausted. But the amazing thing is that they don't complain They don't whine, and they don't feel sorry for themselves. They just do it. They laugh about it as they work. I was helping one of my guys, uh, PFC Henderson said, as he was filling sandbags in the 130-degree heat. My recruiter never told me about this part of the core. They made it sound like a commercial (laughs) that shows up. That, uh, that made it sound like a commercial that shows us digging and picking up trash I don't think I would have joined. That would have been to pick the life in the real Marine Corps. He then began dancing around while humming to techno music. The funny thing is these guys are probably the toughest group of people I have ever been around, but you'd never guess by looking at him. They're mostly skinny little guys between 5 feet and 5'10", weighing it at somewhere between 110 and 150 pounds. Half of them were... Uh, issued glasses which make their eyes look about five times their normal size. (laughs) Not exactly of a sight to inspire fear. Most of them dream about fast cars, fast motorcycles, and of course, fast women. And everyone except myself sports a tattoo. You um, You don't realize it most of the time, but when these guys have any downtown, they're pretty much like any other high school senior with the same likes, dislikes, hopes, and dreams. But you ask these tough little guys to do anything, and they'll do it. If you told them to assault in an open field in the face of heavy machine gun fire, they wouldn't bat an eye. They would just do it. I know this because I've seen it happen. They regularly carry around 50 to 70-pound gears and the 140-degree heat, which which for most of them is over half their body weight. And day in and day out, without complaining, they put their lives on the line for each other. It is the most amazing thing I have ever seen. They're absolutely fearless in the face of danger. These little high schoolers have traded grenades with the enemy in some of the toughest and fiercest fighting the United States has seen since Vietnam. Every time we step outside the gates, they know that the bad guys are waiting for us, waiting to try and snipe at us, shoot at us. With RBGs, blow us up or do any one of the numerous things that are guaranteed to ruin your day. But every day they do this without complaining. I don't know of any other group of high schoolers, seniors, um, that would do this. These single 
parent kids, low-income kids do it on a daily basis as a matter of course. Um, I'm not the real story here. I don't want people talking about me. The real story and the real heroes are my men who fight and work every single day, day in and day out without complaining. They continue to humble me, for I could never do what they have done at their age. They are special kids, and they deserve the recognition. I love you, Donovan. That was one of the first emails we got from him about his young men that he led. He since then was in 200, these young men were in 265 combat missions. They fought day in, day out for seven months without one single day off. It was amazing, and they were the most heavily wounded and had the highest mortality rate of any battalion in Iraq. One out of every three of them came home wounded or were killed. They were only 1,200 sent to guard a city of 5 million people. So every day they patrolled, every day they fought. And as his mother, that was really, really tough. And all I could do is pray, because that's all I could do. (laughs) On April 19th, to show how amazing God is and how he does equip us, we, when Donovan left, we didn't know where he went. We weren't allowed to know, um, I left my picture right over there, uh, where he went. But, um, so I was just, you know, doing my daily thing. Um, Hold on, I was going to show you a picture. Well, I don't need to. Um, Doing my daily thing and uh, got a phone call from his roommate. Seven o'clock in the morning, his roommate called me from his former roommate from Princeton, who was now working on Wall Street. And he said, "Golly, Miss Campbell, guess what? Donovan's on the cover or second page of the Financial Times, London Financial Times." I said, "You're kidding." I said, "Why?" And it said, "Oh, it shows him, and you can see a picture of him. I have it. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't want to go get it, but." of him bowing his head and praying with a group of Marines. And all it said was, Marines pray in Marmadi, April 19, 2004. Fast forward four hours. At 12 o'clock, another friend calls me. You know, so I go out and I buy it and I read, you know, nothing about him, but it's just how the Marines were getting ready to fight. Uh, the Iraq war was stirring up. She said, oh my gosh, turn on your TV. There is fierce fighting in Ramadi today. Well, here... Four hours ago, I didn't even know where he was. Because his roommate had called, the Lord let me know. He was in Ramadi. And the caption read under Fox News, it said, Marines pinned down, 25 captured, or 25 pinned down, uh, 20 wounded. Fierce fighting going on. And it showed showed in a live-action battle. And I turned that off, and I called five of my best friends because I knew my son was fighting in that battle. It, as it turns out, he was the quick reaction force team that winded up going in and rescuing the 25 Marines that were pinned down. And my friends and I prayed. By 6 o'clock that evening, we had been notified that he might have been killed or wounded because he had not reported in. And so his sweet wife, 23 years old she was, laid on the floor out in California all night long by that phone waiting to hear. Donnie and I prayed all we could do. And in that moment, I really, really thought, Lord, no matter what tomorrow brings, and I really mean this sincerely, may I not dishonor you and my family. May we hold fast to all the things and all the faith that we have proclaimed, that, that Donovan has gone to be with you. And if that is the case, may we face this with bravery. And I really prayed that. Six o'clock came the next morning. We hadn't heard. We did not hear till five o'clock that afternoon 
um, Christy had heard from one of the commanders that Donovan had been fighting and had been not able to get in contact with anyone, but he had finally called in, and he was okay. So I am very blessed. He did come back safely. I want to give a shout-out here to his wife, because all of you are wives, and you never know what your husband will be called to do. When Donovan talks about Christy, he always says she is the bravest woman I have ever known. And those of you who have had the privilege and honor of meeting her, it is true. I, being married to him, for one thing, is just sheer bravery. <laughs> because, uh, in fact, I, she, 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 I actually mentored her before they got married. And, um, and in fact, I got them together. And uh, one of the few things I did well, I got him his wife. Because um, I thought she was just so cute. And as it turns out, she was also brave. Um, but uh, he got out of the Marines and went on to business school. At the end of two years, he'd gotten a cush job here in Dallas, and he was set to go, and they were so excited. Well, about this time, um, President Bush had been talking about search. There had not been a recall of Marines in 35 years. And they compiled a short list of captains, 25, that they first recalled, and he was on that short list. Short list. So at 6 o'clock one morning on my, at my home, it came to us for some reason because I think we were as permanent address, the doorbell rings. And I go down, and you know, I know what it is. I know it's as if God spoke to me. I knew he'd been recalled. And sure enough, there was a big letter that said, you have been recalled for another year of service in the United States Marine Corps. I called Christy that morning, and they were up in Boston. And I told her the news, and she started crying. And she said, I cannot do this again. And I said, I know, I know. And I thought the same thing, but, you know, we, we were going to do it again. And um, so uh, she and Donovan process it together. And he had actually broken his leg <laughs> at Harvard, I mean, it, and when he was at school. And um, it was really a severe break, and it took a year to heal, and he had to go through rehab. And he had a slight limp. And so a doctor told him, that he would give him a medical out if he wanted it. Donovan and Christy looked at his contract. It had said to St. Papers that he had signed, it said, I will serve four years of active duty. And if my country needs me in the next four years, I will come back. In other words, so you really commit eight years, sort of. And he thought about that, and Christy looked at him, and she said, you have to go back. You have to do this. And she said, it's a matter of integrity. And he agreed. He thought that too. He, she said, I never want you to feel you sacrificed your integrity for us or for a paycheck. And so that is bravery. She was 26 years old when she did that. And she packed her home, packed herself up. She moved back here. They had a baby. And off she sent him one more time. And if you know anything about combat... And fighting, there are only so many times you can go back and fight that your, your odds go down of coming back. Once again, God was gracious to us, and, and, and he came back at the end of that year. But that is bravery, what she did. Not many women would have told their husbands, with a baby, to go back and do it again. and let Because he had already been gone two years of the four years of their married life. That is, that is something. Um, for people to have bravery, I don't know if you've all read some of the stories about um, Congressional Medal of Honor people, but I want you to understand something. Bravery is not something that's done in a split second. 
people who give their lives, that is not a split-second decision. To have bravery, it's a decision that is the result of time, training, and character that has been built in to your children's lives. One difficult decision at a time. And those decisions, I have learned, start when they are young. And when they're young, you help make those decisions for them. And that in itself, ladies, is where your first challenge begins. Um, I know you're thinking right here, well, gosh, my little child is in my arms right here, and he's two, and why this sounds great. I probably will never have to do this. Well, I thought that too at one time. Um, but uh, you will, and they will, face difficult decisions that in our culture today will require courage. And this is the time when you begin to plan, prepare, and train your children when they are little. Because you see, when they go out to make those difficult decisions, it is not the person you hope they will be. It is not the person you wish they will be. It is the person you have trained them to be. So that is something to really remember. First, let's define what courage is. I looked it up. Webster says, The quality of mind that enables a person to face dangerous, difficult, and painful decisions with overcoming fear with bravery. The Marines have a de- description for physical courage as ris- willing to risk life and limb for a worthy mission. Now, most of us in this room will never, ever probably have to do anything that policemen do or firemen do or, or do physical courage. In fact, and I was thinking about it all my life. My whole life, I don't think I've ever had to do anything that was actually physically brave. You know, I never really put myself out there. And most of us won't. We really won't. But every one of us in this room will be asked and will have the opportunity to display what I then call moral courage. Physical courage is just what I described, but there's a second kind of courage, and that is moral courage. Moral courage, I, I put down a definition that is simply the ability to stand for good, right, and what is pure, especially in today's society for our faith. Um, the second definition I got was from my son, and he said it is the ability to speak to truth, speak truth to power, even when power doesn't want to hear it. In so doing, the morally courageous put their positions, their reputations, and their ability to provide on the line. Now, I want to stop here and say, gosh, you think, well, I don't know. I'm not even going to ever speak to power. You're, yes, you will. You're going to have teenagers. <laughs> teenagers think they are powerful. I will tell you that. Three of my sons are 6'2 and 6'3 and 6 feet, and they all five played football, and they're very big and very muscular, and they were that way starting at about 16, and they were up here and I was down here. And I tell you, those of you, those of people who know my boys, they are strong boys. And so talking about speaking the truth to power, (laughs) that is hard when they're looking down at you like you are crazy, and you still do it. Donovan and I and Caleb and some of my boys would butt heads like you would not believe. They did not want to hear what I had to say. But said it, I did. And believe me, it took courage. And looking back on it, they laugh and tease me. But they also knew there were some things I would not trade off and I would go to the mat for. And I remember Caleb, my second son, was telling Jay Burns something. He said, there wasn't a whole lot I could get by with my mother. 
She told me the truth, and in, even when I didn't want to hear it. And he said, and I will tell you, she, I trust her as one of the most trustworthy people in my life. He said, because when I need to know something and I want the truth, she will give it to me. So I will also say you will have teenagers and you will need courage and they are powerful. So so let's talk about the ways you start now to impart courage. When your child is little, one of the best ways and what we started with, I'd say from the ages two to six, is when I started what I call training. I had a lady ask me a question here and I about just her son and I will tell you you have to have a framework. You have you have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy. I started very early when they were tiny with these what I call character chalk qualities. And wouldn't you know, the first one is courage. And I put these on the refrigerator and I made charts and every and Donovan was nine when Chase was born, so Donovan saw these ad nauseum till he was about fifteen. But my boys laugh because they still will go integrity and then, oh, 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 and they remember the definition that was on this chart I mean they really got the idea that we thought this was important so we started just teaching what is courage boys meeting the opposition with confidence they learned the verse on the back be strong and very courageous be careful to obey all the law my law that Moses gave to you Then it tells a little story, and they would learn that little story, and we would go over and over for weeks what this was. I mean, these are just amazing things, but they are fundamental. These are actually my original character qualities that I used that I gave to Christy about um, eight years ago when she had her first child. She since then got them cleaned up and laminated. You girls are very clever. And um, I didn't know what to, I just handed these dirty cards to her. And um, she loves them, and she uh, has them laminated, and she gives them as baby gifts to people. So it's a great idea. If any of y'all are interested in these, um, she, I called her yesterday and asked how she did it. She said she made a CD, and she will have it up here at Watermark, and you can have it copied, and you take it to Kinko's, and they produce them for you. So this is where I started, just something really, really simple. But it gave my boys a framework, and they really learned that we valued character, that we stressed it all the time. Um, The other thing we did, we taught scripture to them. Donovan and Caleb, I remember the first verse literally I ever taught them was Joshua 1.9. Be strong and have courage, for I am the Lord your God, and I have commanded you to have courage in all the places that you go. I remember telling Donovan when he was little, now God doesn't say, gee, hope you have courage, or gee, it would be a great idea when you go do this if you're brave. No, he commanded it. Why? Because God was with him in all the places that he went. So my boys began to learn scripture memory. And I will tell you that they used to balk at this. And we had to learn that. And I said, boys, boys. um, Kimberly, uh, Kim and I were talking last night. And she remembers something I said in a Bible study once. And my mother-in-law taught me this. She said, if you do not know scripture, then the Holy Spirit, doesn't have anything to bring to mind when you need it. And um, I'll never forget Donovan was playing a football game in ninth grade, and he was on the traveling team because he was so big. But he didn't really play, and he was down in Houston. And sure enough, the backup to the backup got hurt. And as a little ninth grader, he went into this high school game, and he said 
You remember his day or not? The senior, 210 black kid looking over at him at the line, and he was this 160-pound little freshman. And the guy looked at him and went, I am going to kill you. And Donovan said, you know what I thought about? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He literally said that. He remembered. And we were back in Dallas. We thought, you know, well, it, you know, we thought he was sitting on the sidelines. So, um, so God did really use Scripture. And my boys began to see, hey, that was pretty cool. I said, well, how'd you do? He said, I got creamed. But, you know, at least he said I was uh, fairly brave while I did it. Um, as I got older, we read a lot. We did not. Our TV was never on. Our boys read a lot of books. They went to a fairly rigorous uh, high school, so they were required to read a lot. But but we really, our favorite things to do at Christmas was give them biographies. A brave William Wilberforce, we gave them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we gave them. Winston Churchill, Lincoln. By the time they got out of high school, they had read about every hero you can think of, as well as knowing all the Bible heroes. So they, it was kind of inspirational to them. Movies. We loved movies as a family. I mean, everything. Children's movies are a great way to talk about character qualities. For the purpose, for the sake of the purposes today, I'm just going to talk about Frozen. I took my little grand niece, granddaughters to Frozen, and um, Allie at this time was studying courage. She's eight. The two-year-old Isabel was even with us, and we talked about Anna, the main character, who is brave and has courage, and we talked about what she did to free her. Uh, sister Elsa and all the things and obstacles she went through. Great opportunity to talk about it. When you're watching a program, when you're look at, you know, because you've been talking about these things, begin to look for them in your literature, in the things that you watch, in the movies you go see. Just don't see it as entertainment. See it as a tool to talk to your children. So two and six is really when they're captive, and that is your foundation. When they get a little bit out from under your wings, starting about six, seven, eight. I say it's experience. A lot of it will be the experiences that they encounter. Some things you can give them. Some things they'll just have it. I mean, they'll just be experiences. I'll never forget when Donovan was in sixth grade. He wanted to play football. Oh, my gosh. It was just his dream. He was not a great athlete, by the way, at least at that point. But he talked us into it, and by golly, I was late signing him up. Like I said, I wasn't real organized. And so he ended up on an all-black team (laughs) in southeast Dallas. And um, so I drove him down there the first practice, and I looked for carpool or, you know, and there was all these just little African-American kids came out of nowhere, and they were down there on the field. And he had missed two weeks of practice because he was late in getting there. And so after about the third practice, third week into it, he got in the car one night. I will never forget it. And he held up his little forearms, and they were just black and blue. And his voice literally trembled, and he said, That was terrible. I'm getting the crap beat out of me. And I said, Oh, my being his mother and not being very brave, I said, Of course you can quit. I mean, this is just terrible. You shouldn't have to endure this. I said, Let's tell your daddy when we get home. So I... You know, and we marched in there, and I said, Donnie, arms, you know, look at him. And, and Donnie, very calmly, said, really? You want to quit? Yes. I'm just, I'm, it's, I hate it. I'm scared. <laughs> Donnie, my wise husband said to him, Donovan, I don't care if you never pray another down of football in your life, but you're going to play this season, and you are not going to quit. And, he, and I said, Donnie, he's getting the tar beat out of him. And he said, well, he'll just have to figure a way not to do that. So back he went. Now, let me give a caveat here. You know, women in today's world, we are strong. We have voices. 
And by golly, when my husband tells me something like that, I put up a fight because I want to protect my son. Well, I have learned, believe me, the hard way. I've slept in the guest room nights because I was doing a protest (laughs) against something he wanted my son to do. And I was like, he can't do it. So I was more, (laughs) I'm kind of what not to do. Um, But he was so wise. And, and, And so at this point... I did quit arguing because sometimes I really knew that sometimes our husbands do know what they're doing. And I will honestly say he gave my boys more, you know, in their face. They're going to do it. They're going to face it. And my boys learned really that we valued character. Donovan said that is one time he was going to this private school. He hated it. I hated it. We both He and I both decided he needed to drop out and go to the public school. And my husband, because he, you see, he wasn't happy. And I felt he, I'm a sanguine. I love fun. I love. I want all my kids to be happy. And so there again, we decided he needed to go to the public school. And so I went in one night and I said, "Go tell your dad," which is surely the kiss of death. I should have learned by now. And um, Donovan said this one thing impacted him more than anything he remembers his dad telling him. He said, "Son, I'm sorry you're not happy, but I'm not parenting you to be happy." I am parenting you to grow up, be a man, learn the call that God has on your life, and by golly, go out and do it. And Donovan said it was like cold water in his face, but he thought, God, my parents, we thought happiness was great, but it was a byproduct. It was not our end game. And I think in today's world, everything I hear, I hear, I want them to be happy. Oh, they're so happy. And I want to say, ladies... Happiness is not your end game here. God doesn't talk anything about us being happy. He talks to us about being joyful, overcoming obstacles. And yes, God does give us happiness. But it is a byproduct of a lot of other things. Um, the last and most important thing is to model. I will honestly say uh, I think this is the most important thing. Modeling demands consistency between what you say and what you do. And I want to star this because let me tell you, when little Johnny and Mary are 12 and they um, see uh, what you say and what you do don't match, they will give what you say and everything you're trying to teach them the back of your hand. They will not listen. And I saw that over and over again among Christian families. There is a disconnect and there can't be. They have to see consistency. They have to see that as parents, we are willing to sacrifice our time, our physical safety, and our money for what we believe, that we just do not give lip service to what we believe. There are things that we will not trade off. Um, One of the things that happened to us was in 1997. My husband flew out to California, talked with a lady, came back, and said, Honey, I need to talk to you. And I sat down, and he said, I just met with a woman, and I'm going to take her case. And in so doing, I'm going to have to sue the President of the United States of America. Now, I guarantee not many of you will hear that as women, so don't worry. But this was my experience. You see, he took Paula Jones's case against President Clinton. And he believed in his heart that no man is above no man has so much power that he is above the law that no man is and that what he was doing with women was wrong 
So for the next three years, it was quite an experience. We had our house swept with bugs on a monthly basis. We are, his office was swept. We met with security people because they felt like there could be some security risk to our children and our family. Donovan was a freshman at Princeton. He even had to meet with security about things to do to kind of keep himself on the watch. They told us the best way to keep Donnie um, somewhat not targeted was to get himself on talk shows in the newspapers, and that he did, because it's harder to hit a target if they're more publicly profiled. In fact, the boys would be eating their cereal, and he would be on a Sunday morning talk show, and I'd say, look, honey, Daddy, there's Daddy, defending, suing the president. And they would go, yay, Daddy! Uh, I'm serious. I mean, they're watching their Daddy, and it was, it was, it was, you know, it was interesting. I hated every minute of it. I mean, it, it, to me, it was so hard. But looking back, God was so faithful and so good to us. He literally protected our children, took care of my husband. At the end, Clinton was impeached. It was an amazing time to see. It is an amazing thing to God see God work in a very powerful way. Years before that... My husband and one of his friends had gone to a Francis Schaeffer conference and came back and really wanted to have an impact in the legal way because they were lawyers. So they took on reinstating the sodomy laws in Texas, which had just been repealed. That was a four-year battle. It became so dangerous for him that he wore a bulletproof vest and carried a gun going to and from work. We had death threats. Um, We had an unlisted number, and it was a very hard road. I had just had our second baby, and my dad was dying of cancer. And it was one of the hardest times of my life. And yet, it was an amazing time because that, that whole experience lasted four years. And in, in that process uh, that we lost at the state level, he lost uh, at the Ninth Circuit in New Orleans. So he appealed to the United States Supreme Court. I will tell you that was really something. One day, and I watched him go through so much. It was really difficult. I can't tell you. But one day, the phone rang. And it was the Associated Press. And they said, is Don Campbell there? I said, no, he's not. And he said, have you heard? I mean, even this reporter was excited. I said, what, what, what? He said, he won. He won. They're not going to hear it. The sodomy law will be reinstated in the state of Texas. Your husband has won. It was a four-year battle. And I thought, how many people get to see God work in such a broad and public way. It was really, really exciting and um, taught my boys a lot about going to the mat for what you believe. They watched all that play out, even when they were little. Um, Another way we modeled it is, is that they would tease you, but I love to share the gospel. It is something that gives me great joy. Um... We were talking about this in our Parenting on Point class last night, and I was driving home, and and, and one of the prayer requests would be that these ladies be strong and sharing their faith. And I thought, boy, ladies, this is what makes life exciting, giving the gospel. And I shared it with everybody that I could think of. I mean, I just would meet somebody, and my boys would say, oh, no, here she goes again. I mean, they would just be like this, especially when they were in high school. And um, the best way I could find to share the gospel, and, and I... I wish that sometimes I could tell you some of the stories, but um, was at the gym. I met more interesting people and more lost people at the gym. From the gym, I ended up having a Bible study, two strippers that literally worked at the men's club. 
We had a drug addict live with us for two years, and the stripper was his girlfriend. Um, we had gays that would come and be in our home and have dinner and that had come to know the Lord. I mean, there was just, my boy said, ragtag team, one little girl that was trying to be a movie star, and she was Miss Hawaiian Oil. They loved that one. That was one of the few they wholeheartedly got behind me for. Um, they thought that was great. They said, yeah, if she needs Jesus, bring her over. Um, but anyway, they, they really they did see the gospel was important to me. Caleb, my uh, second son, was in medical school. And one of his friends, who was an atheist, and Caleb had shared Christ with him several times, um, was coming up to stay with us for a conference. And he said, Alec, I just want you to know, now just be prepared, my mom loves Jesus. And you will not leave there without her making sure that you hear the gospel. He said, she's going to see. Sure enough, Alec and I sat in my living room on a Saturday afternoon and had a four-and-a-half-hour conversation about life, Christ, everything. And he called Caleb after. He said, you're dang right. Say the whole afternoon with your mom. Um, So those are just some of the things that we experienced. Most of you all will not have such dramatic ways, but you never know what God is going to call your family to. And I will honestly say... You just don't know what the future holds. Um, Most of us will not have to give the full measure of our devotion for our beliefs. But we will all encounter situations that it would be easier to be silent than to speak up, to look the other way when a practice needs to be called out. We will all have to ask ourselves, do I want to really have courage or do I just want to avoid pain? Do we, as parents, do our children see us pursuing ourselves courage? Or do we, or just virtue in general, just all the things? Or do they just see that we pursue happiness, we pursue pleasure, and we pursue things? Because believe me, ladies, they know the difference. Um, Model what you expect from them. By the time they leave your house... They should know what you will not trade off for, what you will not sacrifice, what you will go to the mat for. This is the best way. I want to tell you some another story about courage. It is contagious. It only how many of you have heard stories where one person will stand up and it gives the other people courage. My youngest son played football in college, and when he was told his uh, brothers that he was going to do it, um, they were like. He played at Princeton, and, and, and all his brothers, several others, had gone there, too. And they said, don't do that. That's the wildest bunch of boys. You'll lose your faith, da 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 da, da. And, and, But he made the decision he wanted to. So his one prayer was, gosh, help me find one Christian friend on the football team. And I said, "By the, you know, I hated football. I don't know why God, I mean, I had five that played, two in college. Hated every minute of it. But by now, when he said he was going to play football, I had just given up. I just, okay, fine. I've been beat down. Um so he played his freshman year, and he had fun, and he liked doing it. And um, the amazing thing was, God is good. Nine young men came on that team that year that were all believers. I mean, not just kind of believers, really strong believers. My other boys were so jealous because they never had that experience. Um, but Chase, after the end of the first season, he said, I think I'm going to quit. He said, it is really hard up here to make my grades and play a Division One sport. Uh, so I had a mother call me, and I we sat with we'd flip for some of his games, sat with some of the mothers, and one of the mothers called me. And I said, I think Chase is gonna be on the team next year, but it sure has been fun. And she called me and she said, Chase cannot quit. I said, Why? 
And she said, because Chase, the other boys have said, Chase gives them courage. Chase, pretty strong kid, pretty strong personality. She said, Chase drew that line in the sand, made a stand on what he wouldn't and would not do on that football team. Well, those, boy, that was just contagious. And those nine boys had the biggest impact on that football team to this day. They taught the Bible study all the way through. They had started a Bible study. Their senior year, they each took three people and poured into them. That are, Those boys are graduating seniors and have carried on that Bible study. So it, it really is, only takes one. I looked up who are some of the most inspirational people that had courage. And you know who it was? Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill inspired a whole country in the midst of great odds. I listened to his speech in order of preparing for this talk, and he gave one called The Finest Hour. And if any of y'all want to ever listen to it, it is really amazing. But he says something that really struck me. This is when Nazi Germany was marching across all of, all of Europe. And he had, of course, held up his finger and said, they're coming for us. So this is on the eve of when England is getting to go to battle, to, for, to, uh, to battle Germany. And he is talking to the people of England, and he says, may this be our finest hour. He said, even if we do not win this, that all the world will see that we were brave, courageous people, and it will be our finest time. He inspired, one man inspired a whole country. So, I mean, it just takes one person. I hope this talk today hasn't overwhelmed you, but I do think it's necessary. All of culture and the fabrics of society fails if that culture does not have courage. That is a statistic. I hope you're able to see that your children need to be prepared for their future, and you are the ones to do it, especially their moms and their dads. Because you see, you may send them into a future that you never live to see. But if you do, I hope you can send them off by being brave to whatever God's called them to do and with your greatest blessing. If I had known back then what I know now, that God would call one of my sons into the military, three to serve in remote and dangerous parts of the world, my my fourth son upon graduation went to Shanghai, served in the underground church in China, which can be a very dangerous place. If you're caught, you can be beheaded and imprisoned. In fact, he spent a month in Colorado with Campus Crusade learning what to do if he was interrogated. We signed uh, uh, papers that could get him out of China within a 24-hour's notice if he was turned into the police. My uh, third son served in Kazakhstan, which is a very remote part of Russia, which Christians are not allowed to even preach or be in. Um, East-West had to uh, extract all their missionaries out of Kazakhstan. And my fifth son now serves in the Middle East, and he has now been gone three years (laughs) with East-West Ministries. My uh, second son... Was a, is a hand surgeon now, but he spent he is spending his last year. He's gone through eleven years of training, no sleep, very difficult circumstances. He got one time he was doing a surgery in his residency. He got pricked by an HIV patient, and his blood intermingled with that patient. When that happens, they put you on a severe regimen of interferon and HIV drugs. Well, he was so ill during that time, and this is not just you know, a week or two. This is for like 
several months that you're supposed to go on these drugs to help you not contract HIV. And he one day woke up and his he was eyes were yellow and his liver was failing. And so they took him off the drugs and they said, you're just going to have to take your chances. Well, that little guy, I mean, he's a big guy, but that guy got up sick as a dog with an IV in his arm, went to work every day, threw up in between patients, <laughs> stood there sometimes 40 hours. I mean, didn't, didn't waver, didn't blink. And while we waited, you have to go through a series of tests, the ninth test being at the ninth month, to know if you have contracted HIV. Thankfully, at this point, he has been free, and I'm very grateful. I have learned, but if I had known all that, my goodness, I tell you what I would have done. I would have spent more time learning that God is good, that he is trustworthy, that he can write your child's story far better than you can, because I was always doing that. And yet God said, I've got this. And I am still learning. Lest you think I have arrived, Donnie and I went to uh, the Middle East over Christmas to see Chase. And he is living in the slums. And he has had a rough time. He's always had a million friends. He had lots in high school and lots in college. And he has faced loneliness that he has never faced before. And it has really taken its toll on him. And I spent most of what was our vacation Donnie will tell you, crying, because I was so upset. (laughs) And it just hurt to see him in these situations. But uh, I'm still learning, so that's what I'm saying. I will honestly tell you, ladies, we live in exciting times and unprecedented times to be able to take stands. And I guarantee this generation right before me, I think, will live in perilous times, possibly. And that you have to do all that you can do, all that God has called you to do to equip them. I'm going to end um, by reading an email, my last email. I kept all the emails that Donovan wrote us. But this is one that Donovan wrote to Todd Wagner, to our church. And Todd had written him while he was in Iraq. He was so sweet to do that. Um, But this is his response back to our church and I thought um, it was kind of timely it kind of encompasses everything that I've talked about today dear Todd thank you for your kind note to me I'm certainly blessed with a wonderful mom and more than that a wonderful family aside from faith I do not believe there's any better any better source of strength than a solid loving godly family There is no need to thank me for serving our great nation. It was God's will for me, and thus my moral duty. And no one should be thanked for simply doing that which is their moral duty. I heard a quote once, which I believe to be quite true. For evil to triumph, it is enough for good men to do nothing. I chose the military to combat evil in the very active and obvious manner, but I believe there is a harder and more subtle battle to fight that to reclaim our culture. As I hear of events going on back home, e.g. the overturning of the sodomy law, I wonder if it isn't true that too many Christians have been duped into separating their church personal lives from their business, public, and political lives. Homosexuals aren't afraid to stand up and fight for what they believe in, but it seems too many of us are. I don't know if we're being scared of being labeled intolerant or simply taking the easy way out and remaining quiet. Uh, 
thinking that it is just enough for us to go to church on the weekends, make certain our kids are well-liked, well-insulated, and interact with one another in a variety of church-sponsored events. Um, But I feel pretty strongly about all this. Too many Christians are cowards. And I'm certainly guilty of the same cowardice sometimes. It's a lot easier to go without sleep or food than it is to be different from everybody else around you day in and day out. It is a good thing that being out here in this world and war, aside from ridding this country of an evil dictator, it has stripped me of all the creature comforts of America all the creature comforts America tends to focus on, and it has made me focus on God and my failings. I've come to realize that if I don't make God a part of every single thing I do, I literally cannot make it. My entire worldview, all my words, and all my actions, everything has to be focused on Him and shaped by my beliefs, or I will fail to be a light for Christ. And no one will know that I am any different from the Marine standing next to them. I have failed in this area, and it is no fun. The military is a fertile field for ministry. True Christians are few and far between in this rough-and-tumble military culture. Even though many of these values that it holds together that it, that hold it together are explicitly espoused by Christianity, i.e. service, sacrifice, and selflessness. Like anywhere else, it's pretty much a daily battle to maintain my integrity, especially when the young Marines are literally watching me 24 hours a day. It is a humbling experience. Thank God for the strength to persevere and grace to get it back and get up and keep going every day when I fall down. Paul's numerous analogies comparing the Christian life to battle, a race, and athletic training could not be more true. You don't win wars by getting up one day and being really happy. You win by training every day in rain, mud, sleet, snow, whether you feel like it or not, whether you've slept or not, because you know that someone, that sometime your life, and more importantly, the lives of your men might depend on on it. You don't win by getting on emotional highs. You win by being very consistent every day, by training relentlessly, by building habits that are hard to break. I realize not only does my life depend on my daily training with Christ, more importantly, the lives of my men and my comrades depended on, on it as well. Thank you so much for letting me talk to you. It is nice to have Christian encouragement. Thank you so much. Semper Fi, Donovan Campbell. Thank you so much for letting me speak to you today. I hope I haven't overwhelmed you. Um, if you have questions, let me know. Um, I just want to tell you one thing Donnie did for me, my sweet husband. I found this. I kept all these memoirs from our time. About once a week or twice a week when Donovan was fighting, and every day we'd get up and think, okay, pray. But Donnie would lay these passages and stories of courage from the scripture on my desk. And if you can see, he would underline them, highlight them for me. Um, It's kind of like the Cliff Notes version for me. Um, But it was so wonderful because God's word does give us courage. I just can't emphasize enough. You know, we're just common people as Christians. But I pray today that as common people, we will have and be known as people who have uncommon valor. Thank you.